Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. I'm your host, Sean Creighton. In my current role as NACU president, I have the honor of working with an amazing group of independent colleges and universities. I'm a huge admirer of their approach to teaching and learning. They provide an integrated, liberal, professional, and civic education. As a result, the NACU campuses graduate extraordinary professionals for a global workforce and society. Also, their campuses are beautiful. About our podcast, we will focus on topics related to higher education. We will bring in guests that wrestle with current and future challenges. They'll include college presidents, provosts, professors, researchers, authors, disruptors, reporters, strategists, and maybe even a futurist or two. They'll help us expand our window into the world of higher ed. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. In part one of my interview with Brian Alexander, we talked about his pathway to becoming a futurist and also the main content of his book, Academia Next. If you haven't listened to the episode, it's a really good one, and I encourage you to check it out. In this second part, we'll be talking to Brian about a new book he's working on, Universities on Fire, Higher Education in the Age of Climate Crisis. My new book is uh, titled Universities on Fire, and it's a look at the next 80 years of higher education through the lens of climate change. I'm trying to figure out what universities and colleges might go through over the next 80 years as climate change continues to ratchet up in intensity year by year, decade by decade. Uh, every chapter takes a different cut at this. Uh, you know, one chapter takes a look at the physical campus and how that changes. And that's in some ways the biggest and densest part of this because you imagine where do you get your electrical power from? You know, do you get it from petroleum? Well, in that case, you want to switch over to something else. Do you uh, try to have power sourced on campus? We've found examples of this for people who are bioreactors or they're adding solar or they're adding wind to, you know, produce power in a green way on campus. Or do you source it locally uh, to something else that's good? Um, the food that you serve in cafeterias, and there's a strong argument that says that we need to move away from an animal product-based diet and towards a plant-based diet. Okay, if that's the case, how many campuses would want to encourage that in the food they serve? Do you ask faculty and staff to reduce the amount of travel they do? Uh, because air travel, in particular, burns fossil fuels like mad. So do you try to encourage faculty to uh, uh, do more virtual events? The buildings uh, have to become carbon neutral or carbon negative. Do you bring in carbon sequestration devices on campus? I mean, that's one part of this. Mm -hmm. And you think about research, how the whole world of research changes. Do we, for example, expand the departments on campus that look at climate change? You know, you think about everything from earth science to geology. And do those become more populous? You know, they get more students, more majors, more faculty, more support. Do other fields... Uh, drop out as a result. I'm, I'm waiting to see uh, the first campus where students protest the faculty members who teach petroleum engineering, for example. Uh, do we get new, I mean, both 80 years out, right, do we get new academic programs based on this? Do you get a major in climate change mitigation? Do you get entire programs, if not colleges, just on that field? Mm -hmm. And then you get the, the physical dimension. If you think about schools nowhere near where you are, 
um, in Ohio, but thinking about schools that are on uh, oceanic borders. You know, look, look at Florida, look at New York or Boston. Uh, you look at uh, the campuses that ring the Mediterranean or the Indian Ocean or the Pacific and wonder, all right, do they have to invest in seawalls uh, against rising oceans mm-hmm. and storm surges? Or should they instead think about physically moving and upping stakes? Maybe in Ohio we'll see a whole new bunch of immigrants coming to you from uh, the east and west coast, for example. And then you think about pedagogy and how does pedagogy change? How the way we teach? Do we do more with inquiry-based learning and more project-based learning because those are ways that we know are successful for teaching uh, climate change? And and then there's there's still more. I mean, you think about town-gallon relations. So think about a campus uh, that's in a small city. What happens when the city uh, has a mayor or a town council that are very, very anti-climate change, you know, a bunch of climate change deniers. And on campus, you've got a big climate change contingent. Does that add another dimension of stress or conflict? Mm-hmm. Or do you reverse it? And what happens when the town or the state passes laws or policies in favor of climate change recognition and mitigation? You know, for example, mandating that all electrical power has to come from renewable sources or so on. And your campus isn't fully aware of that yet. You know, how does that change things? And you go further, like, how do, how do faculty and staff, do they play a role in this gigantic civilization-wide struggle? You know, do they become more public intellectuals, urging people to uh, change their behavior? Uh, do they form alliances or groups to try to help the human race survive this incredible ordeal? That's what University is on Fire is exploring. Wow. When, when does it come out? As soon as it's done. Uh, so <laughs> You know, that's the old thing from the kitchen, right? They'll be ready when it's ready. Um, it's scheduled for about a year and a half. Okay. I fear that right now people are going to be, uh, I think they're going to sigh and look away from it uh, too often because they're trying to deal with the immediate crisis of pandemic staring them in the face. And it may be that this is a book that takes some time uh, to find its audience once the, once the pandemic becomes something that we normalize and however that turns out. Um, but I think... It's impossible to think about the future without thinking of climate change. And we've got to start thinking and planning about 10 years ago. Well, when you think about universities that are trying to really differentiate themselves in the market, adopting this type of all-in strategy as a college around sustainability really could be the differentiator and position them to attract students going going forward. We already have a a tradition of a few campuses that are... uh, are very green. Uh, you think, for example, mm-hmm. about um, University of Vermont Law School, specialized in environmental law. In the Pacific Northwest, there are a few campuses that are they're really clearly connected to environmental issues. But yeah, I, I think we can go much further with this. Mm-hmm. So you think about partnerships across disciplines, right? You have, said, for example, earth science, which is obviously essential. And they have to partner with computer science because computer science provides the massive computational power necessary because the modeling of climate change is extraordinarily complex. This is a vast, vast undertaking. And then we add to this, say, civil engineering, uh, because you know, how do you, for example, build seawalls, but also how do you strengthen uh, your cities and your roads and your bridges uh, against changes in the earth? How do you bring in urban design? Think, what do we do to a city like Las Vegas, which is about to be swallowed up by a desert, if, you know, if they turn off the power for a week. Right? Mm-hmm. So how do you redesign a city like that? Uh, or how do you migrate the city um, away from that? 
And then you bring in other disciplines of all kinds. I mean, think about sociology. How are humans reacting to this? You know, how do we understand the differences in human behavior uh, as they react to climate change? Get to bring in psychology. And this whole thing is a question of, do we have a kind of climatological mourning, uh, M-O-U-R-N, you know, as we mm-hmm. mourn the loss of the world that has now passed? Uh, because the world used to be cooler. And there are many, many differences that attend upon that. And then you get to bring in things like, well, circle back to COVID. Uh, you get to bring in epidemiology because yeah, COVID wasn't caused by climate change. But we do know of uh, the impact of climate change on some of the diseases. Uh, Lyme disease, for example, mm-hmm. in the United States is expanding in part because of warming temperatures, which have given uh, the deer tick a greater range to uh, play, which is causing greater infections of that terrible disease. Uh, so, you know, can epidemiologists help us think about what happens when uh, salt water bursts into a whole bunch of previously freshwater coastal areas? How does that change the biome, and what kind of diseases might spread out as a result? You know, what happens in the Midwest, where you are, as the prairie advances? Mm. And then we bring in poli-sci, because, by God, this is a hairy political issue, mm-hmm. you know, on all kinds of levels of governance, uh, how do we organize against this? Uh, do we see the development of new uh, structures, you know, maybe a supranational organizing entity? You know, I keep mentioning that you're in Ohio. The Great Lakes is this fantastic center of fresh water from North America. Does it become a kind of political center? Uh, does it become something like uh, an oil power place? Instead of being flyover country, it becomes like, you know, Wall Street or Silicon Valley because of that clout, because of the water. Right. I mean, right. So, I think this just races across disciplines in, in all kinds of ways. And that takes us back to liberal arts. I mean, a liberal arts degree is kind of the best way of preparing for climate change because it teaches you to be mobile across these different dimensions. Let me, let me switch here. You know, in addition to all your writing and your speaking and everything else you do, you host a weekly conversation called what's it, the Future Trends Forum. I wanted you to talk a little bit about, you know, when you started it, the main audience and how it's evolved from week to week. Well, this is a, a, a very special thing, and it's something that I'm proud of and, and delighted in. The, the Future Transform is a weekly video conversation. I don't think there's anything quite like it, because what we do is it's not a webinar per se. Uh, we always have one guest, um, sometimes a couple of people, and each of them has some unusually pertinent bearing on the future of higher education. So it might be a computer programmer who has written an open uh, source program that is something that we might find very useful. It could be a librarian who has thoughts about where open access and scholarly publication is going. It might be an entrepreneur who's just launched a, a new uh, college. It might be a, a critic who wants us to want to warn us about certain dangers. It might be a university president who has just turned around the college from the brink of disaster, and so on. I'm just the moderator. I introduce them, I set them up, but then I unleash them on our community. So we have dozens, if not hundreds, of people from all over the world and from across higher education who get to talk to this person and ask them questions. Uh, We had a a wonderful, wonderful publishing uh, guru from uh, Wisconsin, uh, Michael Johnson, and he came to talk about accessibility. 
So I was asking him about, you know, how we can better design for accessibility. And then the audience just bombarded him with great questions. You know, how do you convince faculty to take time to design courseware so that it's accessible to people with visual impairments? You know, what do you think of different publishers and their routes? What's the business model here? And so on. It's just a, a kind of free-for-all organic conversation that lasts about an hour. The, uh, we use a, a fascinating uh, video technology called Shindig, which comes, it's a New York startup. Uh, which is, I, I think, a terrific video chat experience, uh, definitely superior to Zoom in many ways. And uh, it's grown over time. Mm-hmm. We began with, a, I think, a, more or less a focus on education and technology. And then that really, really expanded. And we had the inventor of Mo- or the creator of Moodle, uh, Martin Dugamis, there. Uh, we had people talking about blockchain. But then we, did, we added economists talking about the business model of higher education. Uh, you know, we brought in a gubernatorial candidate who wanted to talk about the connection between education policy and broadband. Uh, you know, we brought in a scientist from uh, IBM who was talking about AI and different uses for it uh, in higher education. We brought in a wonderful grad student from Cambridge uh, who was talking about decolonizing the curriculum. We're coming up on our fifth year, which is remarkable. Uh, we have 230 or so uh, recordings in uh, YouTube, so anyone can go back and okay. look into the archive. And people do. It's really nice to see people go back and leave comments and, and, and use these past ones. I just think right now, in a time where conversation is so difficult to have uh, for many reasons, I think it's just it's vital to make a place for conversation uh, about the future of higher education. I think you're doing incredible work. I, I think I've mentioned it <laughs> throughout this entire podcast, and I encourage people to go and learn more about the past work, your current work, and certainly your future work. And where would you suggest listeners start out if they want to learn more, if they're not already familiar with, with what you're doing? Uh, go to my blog. It's brianalexander.org, mm-hmm. B-R-Y-A-M, and that'll give you a sense of what I've been thinking about. And from there, you can find other projects right up there. Or if you want to just go into the projects themselves, Go to futureofeducation.us. It's just a series of tiles, each one which takes you to uh, the different projects. And, of course, uh, Academia Next, you can grab it from Johns Hopkins University Press or from your library or from Amazon. And that's, you know, you can just search for that term and you'll, and you'll find that there. Yeah, we'll be sure to link to all the resources you just mentioned uh, so people can find them, go directly or find them at our site in one place. And, uh, you know, thank you, Brian, for being our guest. And look forward to uh, universities on fire and everything else that comes out. Appreciate your enthusiasm. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for being here for Connect, Collaborate, Champion, a podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. This podcast is made possible thanks to our partner, public radio station 91.3 WYSO in Yale Springs, Ohio. Thank you, YSO. The New American Colleges and Universities connects our campuses to collaborate in the delivery of innovative ideas and to champion the belief that a comprehensive, liberal, professional, and civic education is essential to the future of our world. To learn more about our amazing campuses, visit nacu.edu, N-A-C-U dot E-D-U. See you soon.